We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2021 Fantasy Football Running Back Rankings tiered for half-point PPR. If you out there want to get into a draw for some cash giveaways, easy stuff, hit the description. You'll find a link to review the Fantasy Football Picks and Bet Show on Mayo Media Network on Apple Podcasts. You do that, you subscribe to the show, rate it five stars, something you enjoy, Twitter handle and email, boom! You're in a cash giveaway. I'll be doing that sometime in early August, probably the second week of August. So the more reviews we get, the more money that's going into that pool. It's up to 500 bucks right now. A few more is all we need to bump that up to $1,000 of cash giveaway. So please, it'll take you 24 seconds to do this. You might win 100 bucks or 200 bucks, depending on how the draws go. So you might as well do that. Remember to smash the like button to the video. Give me your biggest bust at the running back position this season in the comment section. Subscribe to Mayo Media Network. And I do want to let you know that runthesims.com is still running its free trial right now until the end of July. So you can go check out the site for free right now and see if it's something you want. And if it is, you can get in on the Founders membership before August 1st. You buy a package to the site, you get that rate for life. You go to runthesims.com slash mayo, you get an even bigger discount off of that. So I highly suggest you do that. All of the daily fantasy tools, including an optimizer and game simulations, sports betting tools, and if you're here for season-long fantasy football, full projections, best ball projections, best ball rankings, and a head-to-head matchup tool for every season, every week of the season, plus the advanced stats hub, which will be free on the site all season long. So runthesims.com slash mail. If there's ever a time to get a great deal, this 
would be that time. Jake Seeley from TheAthletic.com is on the line with me. I had Levitan on yesterday's show, and we were going through some Saquon Barkley stuff, some Michael Thomas stuff. But, Jake, today I want to hammer out these running back rankings. We did the top 150, so obviously this is an amendment to those at the running back positions. But I want to be able to break these guys up into tiers now to see where I really want to take them. That, that usually makes sense because we talk about this every single year is that there's you know, the tiers are the more important way to look at things when you're drafting. Cause not only do you not want to be the first person as you know, like jumping into the next tier, but it just depends on where you're going on the board of understanding the value of like, well, do I just go wide receiver here? Or as you talk about every single season about the tiers at tight end, when you bring in Kelsey to the conversation, well, is it worth taking Kelsey at the end of the first round? Because you know, the tiers of running backs that are there should be there in the second round. So that's definitely always been, the more advisable way to draft every single year is to use tiers. I mean, not using tiers, you're, you're kind of just eliminating a value piece to add to any of your drafts. So let's start at the very top. Running back number one, no surprise in half-point PPR. I have Christian McCaffrey. That is followed by Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, and Elvin Kamara. So I want to start with Elvin Kamara as a part of this discussion because I went over to runthesims.com and check out the new season-long projection for him with Michael Thomas probably going to miss at least six weeks, probably even more at this point. That should I bump him up even more? Like, is this a boost for Elvin Kamara? Because, like, how much more can he be used as a receiver in this <laughs> system? And, like, do you think that without Michael Thomas, we're now, like, shading towards Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback for the Saints? Okay, first of all, as the sidebar to that, like Michael Thomas has no bearing on who the quarterback is. That That's the, I'm not saying you, but that's like the most ludicrous thing I've seen out there is that people are like, oh, now it's Taysom Hill at quarterback. No, Michael Thomas has nothing to do with it. You play your best quarterback. Like, it wouldn't be other teams like all of a sudden they lose the best wide receiver. And it's like, well, let's turn to the backup uh, because, you know, we lost our best wide receiver. Like the, the Cleveland Browns, bench Baker Mayfield, we lost Odell Beckham. No, that's not how it works. If Winston's the best option, Winston's the best option. Now, I'm not saying that's a guarantee but winston isn't relevant or regarding or reliant if i could come out with the right word on michael thomas being there so the alvin Kamara question we've seen the numbers but we also have to take this with a whole grain of salt in the fact that we expected Kamara's numbers not to be as great without drew Brees. Jameis winston throws to running backs more than Taysom hill does Taysom hill and Jameis winston both don't do it as much as drew Brees does because drew Brees was top three in the league year after year after year so it's not the end of the world where it's the bottom of the league, like Jared Goff for the past two seasons. But whereas your question is, how much further can he go up? I think even if he saw a boost in targets, it's about the efficiency probably not being as great. So I think this is a fair spot. I'm a little different in my tiers than you. I only have a big three and then a second three. Um, but I, I think that for for what your question being, I have Kamara fourth. I have Kamara starting this next tier for me. Okay, so... Let's just break it down for a second. I think that Kamara has a better season if Jameis Winston is the full-time quarterback. Now, put quotes on sure. full-time quarterback. Taysom Hill, is, it's not like he's just going to be on the bench and he's never going to play. He'll line up a bit at, like, slot receiver. He'll take snaps out of the backfield uh, in terms of being a running back. He'll take quarterback snaps as well. He's going to be mixed and matched in, certain, in terms of special packages and things like that. So you talked about Hill is going to dump down a lot less in – have just fewer running back targets than Jameis is, and it's going to be far less than we saw with Drew Brees over the course of like the past 10 years. But with Hill, I also worry about the touchdown equity with these running backs as well, because if he's in the game, uh, not afraid to call his own number near the goal line. It's almost like we talked about in the top 150 show, and we talked about the Bills backfield where Josh Allen just 
he takes away from the bottom line of whoever is playing running back. Taysom Hill would do the same thing. So if he's like the goal line package quarterback, or at least he gets one shot inside the goal line just to throw teams off, I think that could significantly hurt the overall touchdown upside of both Kamara and Latavius Murray. Which, you know, again, don't disagree. Uh, I don't think you're banking too much on like, oh, God, Alvin Kamara is going to go from 12 rushing touchdowns to six, mostly because Kamara gets his. It's not it's not even like goal line rushes when Kamara gets his. So I'm not too worried about the touchdowns. You Maybe you tick off two, maybe three at most over the course of the full season. But again, despite my point being about how you're going to get less efficient volume, it's still going to be volume. That's that's what we're going for here. You know, the pushback to go, I know we're not talking about him yet, but we'll get to Najee Harris. Is like, Najee Harris, the offensive line isn't that good. I, I don't care because he's going to be getting 250 minimum carries. He's touching the ball 300 plus times. We want volume. For all the things we want, and it's wide receivers too. All the things, hell, it's every position. It's quarterback attempts. We want volume in fantasy. Whether somebody's volume is more efficient and a better production than somebody else's, that's a whole conversation. And why do we rank these guys differently? But you're telling me volume, volume, volume. Alvin Kamara's volume is going up with no Michael Thomas. You know, they brought in uh, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan's not going to be the answer. Traquan Smith is probably going to struggle a little bit getting number one attention. So they're going to need Kamara, even if it comes at some lost touchdowns rushing wise. I'm not too concerned about it. I'm not, for me, I'm not moving him from number four. I agree with you. He can't go up. Like he's not going to still touch that first tier, but I'm not moving him down either. I have him exactly where I had him when we did the top 150 show at running back number yes. five. Actually, I may have had him at running back number six and had Saquon at number five, but I cooled on Saquon a little bit. We'll talk about that in a second. The issue here for me is when we did the readjustment of the projections, and I might go manually override those because that's one of the tools that we offer at runthesims.com is you know, we have the entire spreadsheet there. You can go manually tweak the rankings to whatever you want. So when Michael Thomas went out, that left this gap in terms of market share of targets amongst all the receiving options on the Saints. So Michael Thomas was up around like a 27% share. He's now been lowered to around a 15% share as a baseline throughout the course of the entire season. I even think that might be a little too optimistic depending on the amount of games that he is probably going to end up playing. He's probably around like 10%. But a lot of that got funneled onto Camara, so he's up around the 22% market share of the targets. And I think that's just too high. So that that yeah. assuming that's what happens, let's just play it with that baseline right now. That would put Alvin Camara at 103 catches on 129 <laughs> targets. I just don't think with Jameis or Taysom Hill he's going to get to that number. No, and it's not even that number as an entirety. Is I would say that number is too high, which percentage-wise. Like so, for me, I'm actually a little higher than you are on Michael Thomas because I took out um, six games to play the minimum or the middle. Uh, they said four to eight. Uh, six hits the middle, and then you also have that buy in there. So he's got a buy with a Monday night game. So he almost gets kind of a little bit of an extra time on top of that six weeks. And by doing that, I actually came out 16.2% of the target share, which put Alvin Kamara up at 18, not quite into the 20, because I still have six for Latavius, 15 for Trey Kwan, uh, seven plus for Marquez Callaway, and then Deontay Harris and Chris Hogan. I have Deontay Harris actually getting more than Marquez, Marquez Callaway. Um, I think Deontay Harris could be an intriguing, like, big big play option that they might try to get on the field more but anyway that being said is there's still gonna be and, and oh the biggest one troutman's up at 14 percent. so i think that when you factor everybody in as you mentioned and you said your first reaction was that's too high 
I agree with you. I don't think Kamara even gets to 20%, whoever the quarterback might be, just because you're still, as much as this is arguably one of the worst wide receiver situations in the NFL now, you're still going to have a lot of targets going to the wide receivers and to Troutman and who knows, probably even Dick Vanette getting mixed in there. So just dropping him from, let's say, 22% to 15% as a market share of targets in this offense, that drops him from in the projections from running back two to running back number five, which is where I have him. And I do think that 17, I don't know if it's a ceiling or not. The issue I have is now, I think we just see a lot more Latavius Murray in the game. Not that it's going to take away from Kamara, but he is like legit their second best offensive player now. No, sure, for sure. Well, again, for the passing game, I, th- I think it's out Trotman, but yeah, no, in the passing game. But I'm just talking player. about like overall yeah. skill position player. It's Camara by a large margin. Then it's probably Latavius Murray, and then it's kind of the rest of everyone else. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So yes, I think you can see just more running the ball in general. It's going to be interesting. You know, Jameis Winston doesn't like to hand it off <laughs> too much, so. I think, of course, you know, the call, the play is called or the play is called, but it'll be interesting to see how this works. I don't disagree with you that Latavius Murray is the second best option. Uh, but as of today, I think this is shaping up to be very much like the Detroit Lions. Like, look at the similarities there between these two teams and that you have an explosive running back in the lead. You have a very well-rounded running back behind him. And then you could argue that the best talent for all receiving options, not in the backfield, is the tight end. So yeah, Hawkinson and Trotman versus, you know, the others and Traquan Smith and all those other guys with Tyrell Williams and Brashard Perry. I think the Lions and the Saints offense are very similar now. They're similar, but I still trust no matter who's playing. I mean, I don't like trust Taysom Hill as a passer all that much, but if it was Jameis versus Goff, give me Jameis. And Sean Payton yes. versus Tarzan Dan Campbell, I'll, I'll take the creativity oh, of, of Sean Payton. So I think that there's a well, are boost. You sure? Are you sure? Has Dan, Dan Campbell's talked about what, what, like eating your goat's children or something like that? What did he talk Like something random? Some stupid thing? He just talks nonsense the entire time. He's like a crazy <laughs> That's what say. He's like Mike. He's the new Mike, Mike Tyson. He's Mike Tyson in the NFL now. So I have Zeke at number four. Do you have him at number five? Yes. Okay. So we're in lockstep that he's going to be great this year. And he's still the one guy just looking at the ADPs from the last three days. Uh, Not a ton of sample, only 10 high stakes drafts, but they are high stakes drafts. He is now going as running back number six. So people are kind of cluing in a little bit like, oh, he, he, he was being drafted a bit too low. We need to get him back up there. Yeah, people realize what we're talking about. We, as in the people who have been on his bandwagon, we talked about it on your show for the top 150. As in, look at Zeke's games at the beginning of the season before Dak went down. He was number three for running backs, uh, number two in some leagues. That, that nothing's changed with Ezekiel Elliott, and he was playing through an injury for most of the season himself. And I keep referencing this. If you go back and look at the injury reports, there was only two weeks he wasn't even on the injury report. I know you could say, well, what's the injury? How severe is it? But anyway, the two only weeks he wasn't on it were the two weeks he ran for over 100 yards. And that was after Dak was gone with crap quarterback play. So I have always been still on the Zeke, Zeke, Zeke. Um, so I'm with you. Uh, you know, We both have him at five, and I think he should have been there all along. All right. So the next tier that I have is let off with Saquon Barkley. So it's Barkley, Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Najee Harris, Nick Chubb, and Aaron Jones. So instead of just trying to like have micro tiers, those six guys I think are a pretty solid collection of the next run of everyone at running back. So with Saquon, we're now getting the Joe Judge commentary that they want the long-term health of Saquon to be the thing. Do you expect there to be not necessarily a downturn in his 
production, but a downturn in his touches, at least the first few weeks. And I don't mean like he's getting 10 touches a game, but instead of being the guy that might cap out at 30 touches in a game, he's a guy that caps out at like 20 touches in a game. I, I can honestly even see 16 or 17. I, this is another one I keep bringing up is look at Dalvin Cook when he came back. That's the example. Like I referenced this in a tweet yesterday when Renan said that, and I said, remember Le'Veon Bell's suspended season? First four, he'd only played 12 games. Still finishes RB3, still finishes RB1 in points per game. And I said, yes, that was a suspension versus an injury. Completely different situation. And there is more risk with Barkley. But they're not saying he's not playing until week four. He's not playing until week five said he's going to be brought along slowly. I don't think slowly, I don't think anybody's out there thinking slowly means he's not going to be hundred percent till week nine. Like it's just relax a little bit. This is smart by the giants. They want to make sure he's healthy. So that's why I also bring Dalvin cook into the conversation. Cause look at what happened with him when he came back, they actually pushed him a little bit too hard with the Vikings, but when they let him come back slowly, he started off with these mid teen touches and then it took him three or four games and then he was Dalvin effing Cook. Saquon Barkley, if you told me he was slow through that the entire month of September, and then he's Saquon effing Barkley for the rest of the season for 12 or 13 games, I'm still taking him. And that's why I said the one person that was still in that tier with me, he's still in the tier with, Ze- with Zeke and Kamara for me because I know 100% Barkley for 12 games, plus whether it's Barkley or a replacement running back I get at the beginning of the year, is going to be top five talent-wise. So now if you want to say, I don't believe that's going to happen because of the Giants, that's another conversation. You're you're welcome to have that conversation. But if I believe in Barkley, this whole bringing along slowly is not going to scare me off of him. I think six is fair. I think it's enough to drop him down a tier from, I mean, just a differentiation between Kamara and Zeke and Barkley. I'd just, I'd much prefer in safety wise at least in my mind to have those two guys if i end up with barkley i'm not gonna be mad at my fantasy team uh (laughs) i think that he's gonna be a fantastic buy but there are probably kelsey maybe Devontae adams now tyreek hill like i i think that he's in the conversation with the very elite players at the other positions at wide receiver and tight end versus those running backs are my top five guys and I could see that argument so maybe for some people he's in a tier of his own i just see the upside of barkley being so much greater than this group that we're talking about here. And I have a very similar group. The only other person I have in that you didn't mention, you didn't say Joe Mixon, correct? I did not. He is the number one in tier three. See, I would put him in the same group we're talking about now. We differ a little bit on those type of things, but you know, Aaron Jones, what's the usage going to be like with AJ Dillon, who Aaron Jones, again, very touchdown reliant. What if it's a little bit different this year, Jonathan Taylor, we're on this whole, you know, we, do we differ on this? I keep saying Marlon, Marlon Max, not a factor. But Naeem Hines is. Austin Eckler, we think Austin Eckler is going to be freaking amazing because he's Austin Eckler and the backup options aren't that great. But remember, brand new coaching staff. Now, one's coming from the defensive mind who has an offensive outlook, as like was quote was or something like that. I forget what it is. But you have Lombardi coming who's been a quarterback's coach and sitting there with Drew Brees. So what is he like? There's a lot of things we're assuming for the Chargers that could change. Uh, Joe Mixon, health situation, Najee Harris, I love, you know, all these types of situations, but all these guys have questions. Barkley has his own questions, and if that's why you want to put him in that group, that's fine. But if it wasn't the injury question for Saquon Barkley, he's just so far ahead of this group, in my opinion. All right, it's a compelling case to move him up to Tier 1. But like I said, that's sort of like the line of demarcation. What's that, sorry? Wait, 
Wait, you have Kamara and Zeke in tier one also? You have yeah. a big five? Yeah, I have a big five. Oh, okay. So I, I separated. I have three and three, and I know you said you don't want to go with the mini tiers, but I would just, that's how I would separate them. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I think that's a perfectly fair way to divvy up your tiers. People can make, you know, there, there's no standard when it comes to tiers. I'm just, I'm just trying to do this so <laughs> I can figure it out. Because the way that the tiers get injected into the top 150, everyone's kind of a cluster. There are very few mini tiers inside the top 150, like we talked about. If you want to see the entire list of these running back rankings or the top 150 overall, you can check the description or comment section of this video. They are down there right now. So I would recommend going to do that if you just want to follow along with everything. And we're going to be talking about Let's say bad things happen to Saquon Barkley. Does that make Devontae Booker a good play? Latavius Murray. These type of guys. Jake is going to be on Fantasy Football Picks and Bets on Mayo Media Network, where I already got you to subscribe to and leave that review. That is going to come out... Uh, that's out right now, actually. Uh, and we do our handcuff rankings for the year of guys that maybe you want to target later in drafts if you're into the handcuff game. And we'll discuss the strategy behind handcuffs as well because we probably won't get into the very depths of all of the handcuffs in Tier 1 and Tier 2 handcuffs. As a part of this show, we're just trying to hammer down what you should be doing at the very top of your draft. So after Barkley, I do have Eckler, Taylor, Harris, Chubb, and Jones. We don't need to relitigate a lot of these guys, but I'm willing to go with the upside of Eckler and half point and full point PPR just because if we do think that there could be a downturn for Kamara in terms of receptions, depending on who's playing quarterback. So if it is Taysom Hill, and like we don't know who the starter is, it's I agree with you. It's probably likely to be Jameis. But if it's not, you know, I didn't think they would play Taysom Hill this long anyway. You, you might see a drop off and he might not like he might be around 80, 75, 80 catches instead of 100, which is a lot of lost fantasy points, even in full point PPR, even in half point PPR. And then Eckler could be the one who steps in if we think that the offense and it is actually something Cust pointed out on the last uh, fantasy football picks and bet show is that you, know, it, you have to think that the offense is going to be upgraded regardless of how it works from Anthony Lynn. Mm, I don't know if it has. Again, you're talking about Lombardi. It doesn't actually have much of a pedigree of like positive pedigree because again, he failed previously and then he was sitting there with New Orleans and you can make the argument. I'm, I'm just pointing out the, 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 uh, the devil's advocate side of it is what's there to really do. You're coaching Drew Brees. What the, okay. But that's a really tough job to do out there. So, and again, you're, you're having a mind come from the Rams and, you know, people like, oh, the next Sean McVay. We've also seen that not work out for a lot of coaches of being the next whatever. And he was coming from the defensive side of things. So I don't know that it's necessarily much better versus Anthony Lynn. What are we assuming here of how it could be better? And I'm talking even specifically for Eckler, not even Justin Herbert in this conversation. Is Austin Eckler going to turn into a bell cow? I think you get him killed if you do. I think Austin Eckler is perfect in the role that he's in, and that's what makes him so damn good. So I guess the question, I'm coming back to you then, Pat. Like, where is it's going to be better? Like, do we get Austin Eckler to a 18% target share? Because that's really, I don't think the rushing is going to be much more. So that's where he would have to grow in the passing game. And he's already freaking elite in the passing game. So I don't know where you really can see where it's going to be better. I just think, okay, maybe I phrased that incorrectly. I just think it can't be worse with the play calling than Anthony Lynn. Okay. okay. So so it's a, pu it's a push at worst, so, at least in my mind. So the way I have it divvied up, I have a 50% rushing share for Eckler of the team. Maybe that's a bit too lofty. I don't know. But I have a 17% market share of targets for him. So the big thing that kind of I kind of rallied back with when I was researching Austin Eckler is over the past two seasons, he's gotten 15 touches, 
13 times. Because, like you said, he's not necessarily a bell cow, but 15 touches is probably good for our purposes. And in those 13 games when he had 15 touches and half point PPR, he averaged 18 points per game. The only qualified running backs who did that last season were Delvin Cook, Elvin Kamara, and Derrick Henry. Christian McCaffrey obviously didn't qualify because he didn't play enough games. So... I just think that he doesn't need all that much more that if he can get 17 touches a game. So let's call it 11 or 12 on the ground, five catches. That doesn't seem unreasonable in an offense like this. And hopefully he can get a few goal line touches. Like that's really where this hinges because if he starts getting goal line touches and he's their goal line back, then he's in the running to be a top three guy. I don't think that's going to happen, but I, you know, I can put in his market share of rushing touchdowns at like, 30%. That's what I have a minute right now. And that's really going to kill his overall upside. But I just think he presents such an easy floor every single week that he's healthy. If they do try to lean on him as a bell cow, it will be amazing for three weeks until he gets hurt. So I don't (laughs) really want that at the same time. But I can just get a healthy season out of him. 17 touches a game. You know, like 60-40 between rushing and passing. He's just going to be a stud running back that I just plug in every week, and he's a guy that doesn't need to score touchdowns for me to get value back on him where I draft him. And if he does, then all of a sudden, we're to the moon with Austin Eckler. (laughs) Sure. I guess that's a a very lot of ifs till we get there, but I I think the ifs could get where he is, top five running back. There's, There's no question about Eckler's talent and his ability when he's used properly and when he's used with a 15, like you said, over 15 touches in a game, I agree with you is that you don't want him at 20. I don't like, you know, I, I, as much as we're lauding off Neckler, I don't know if it's again. Now before everybody's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you compare the two. I'm comparing the two for a reason. Eckler is definitively 10 times out of 10, the better talent than Lamar Miller. But I bring up Lamar Miller as the example of the time because people were pounding the table to give him more touches. Look how good he is. Why don't the Dolphins use him more? Blah, blah, blah. And then he gets more touches. And what does Lamar Miller do? He puts up the same numbers in a less efficient way. So it's not that he got better. It just took him more touches to do what he was doing already. So I, I'm with you in the fact that it's not even the 20 touches. He gets killed as in like, oh, my God, he's going to get hurt. He can't handle that. Like, even if he stays healthy, is he built – or, you know, is his game even built for that? So I think the 15 to 18 is the very nice sweet spot for Eckler. And honestly, I'm with you. If it leans towards 17 or 18, two touches per game doesn't sound like a hell of a lot, but two touches and another 34 opportunities over the course of the entire season, then yes, he could be pushing that top tier. The only pushback I would have, I, I understand your Lamar Miller point about the efficiency versus volume, and he was just a more effective and efficient runner on fewer touches. Maybe it kept him spry throughout the game. I, I really don't understand how that worked between Miami and Houston (laughs) at that point when he just became the same guy on twice as many touches. It's not that with Eckler because the one thing with him is I just think that his role in the passing game is just so solidified that Miller didn't have, he caught passes obviously, but so much of Eckler's fantasy value is predicated on what he does in the passing game. And if you added the extra two touches per game in the receiving game, all of a sudden now, I don't think it would really be the wear and tear that we're looking for in terms of two extra carries a game where he's just getting, you know, completely annihilated running up the middle. And it also is just far more <laughs> valuable fantasy wise. So are, are you kind of campaigning that you might consider Austin Eckler on your top tier? No, I, I think he's behind Barkley because I don't think that he, his route to hitting that overall upside, I think 
is way behind all the guys that I previously mentioned. But I do think that he's above the next few guys who probably have more upside if everything breaks right for them. But I just don't think that they're going to do it, I guess would be why I have Taylor, Najee Harris, Nick Chubb, and Aaron Jones behind him. Yeah, and I'm with you on that one too. Especially, I mean, not the most glaring one of that entire group is Nick Chubb and just his lack of passing game use. Unless Kareem Hunt were to get hurt, and then who who knows? I mean, the Browns might still might re- go to him. They might go to a third wide receiver. Yeah, I I just find him so hard to rank because he's gonna have these games where he makes you look like a moron for not having him like as a top five <laughs> running back. But then there's gonna be the weeks where he gets 17 carries for 84 yards and no touchdowns. Like, oh, he scored eight points. Great. That's it's it's the DJ Moore of the wide receivers. Like I I said it last year after about week four. It's like I'm done. DJ Moore. I'm just warning everybody. I could say it's a great matchup. He's wide receiver twenty every single week. He's just gonna be wide receiver twenty. I'm done with trying to figure out. This is the week he finishes wide receiver eight. This is the week he finishes wide receiver thirty four. He's wide receiver twenty. It's the same thing with Nick Chubb. He's just running back ten. Just put him at running back ten. You're starting him no matter what. I don't care about accuracy for rankings for him. As you mentioned, one week it's going to be he's finishing number one or number two, and then next week he finishes 21st. Like, just put him at 10 and leave him there. Now that Rodgers is back at training camp and it looks like he's going to start the season being the Packers quarterback, <laughs> should I give Aaron Jones a bump up over Chubb? I wouldn't. I still wouldn't. That's one of the things, So I talk about this. I did my projections, and then I did my rankings. Um I could see, like, I think Aaron Jones, I'll be honest with you, I think Aaron Jones is slightly ahead of Chubb in mine. Um but like, I don't think it should be a significant bump. Like I can see him being in front of him, but it shouldn't be a wide gap where just let the board fall. And this is kind of why we do tiers because if one of them goes mid first, but one of them falls all the way to the end of the first round, potentially even the second round, that's the one I want. I don't care which one it is. That's the one I want just because they're so close. Uh, Eric Jones, uh, you know, I, I lost a bet with Michael Beller last year uh, because of the touchdowns. He still ran for only what a thousand yards and change. If A.J. Dillon, we talked about the Saints and your concern for Alvin Kamara rushing the ball for his running, rushing touchdowns, Aaron Jones loses three rushing touchdowns because A.J. Dillon becomes a 30-40% share, and he's the boomer of this offense. That's significant because Aaron Jones was very touchdown-reliant, and it wasn't just touchdown-reliance either. He was kind of Will Fuller-ish, where 30 points and then 10, 10, 10, 10, 25, 8, 10, 12. Like, he's very up and down, like a decent floor, but the ceilings were really what pushed them. Yeah, I can see that. I just don't know. This entire tier I find very confusing. Like, I almost feel like making... Let me put a, it this way. I, I almost feel like making a mini tier of Berkeley and Eckler and having Taylor, Harris, Chubb, and Jones all by themselves. Cause this I'm is where good I could, with that. Like, I could just, this is where I could see myself drafting Calvin Ridley instead of Aaron Jones. And I'm I'm okay with that. I, I don't mind that at all. I actually kind of like that. Um, because to go back to the Aaron Jones versus Nick Chubb, let's talk about potential ceilings. I think we've we've seen Aaron Jones ceiling and finishing as a top five, six running back because of the touchdown volume and of course of course attrition, other running backs getting hurt. Nick Chubb's ceiling is still that if Kareem Hunt were to get hurt and all of a sudden Nick Chubb is just the guy because they're not I don't even know who they would turn to as the second option. I just think it would be a cluster behind them, and then they would just give the ball to Nick Chubb 20-plus times every single week and actually use him in the passing game, where now Nick Chubb is on the tier of Ezekiel Elliott. All right, so we'll call Barkley and Eckler a tier by themselves. We'll call that tier two. So tier three is going to be Taylor, Harris, Chubb, and Jones. Taylor, I've kind of expressed my hesitation with him. I can't rank him any—I don't think I can really rank him any longer. He's being drafted as— 
geez, in high stakes leagues, I think running back number five right now, uh, ahead of Zeke, Is ahead he? of Eckler, ahead of Barkley. Yeah, over the past uh, past four days at least, uh, since a lot of the news had ended up coming out. Kamara only went up to number four too, so it's still McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara. Taylor, Zeke, Eckler, Barkley would be the top eight and how they're being drafted in high stakes formats at the moment. But the news of, I mean, I, I brought this concern up with you. I know you laugh at me. Everyone laughs at me when I bring it up that Marlon <laughs> Mack is back at 100%. And like, as long as he's on this team, I still think that he's going to get touches. Not enough that you want Marlon Mack, but enough that I think that it just, you know, we have to make a checklist between these elite running backs of, what brings them down? What brings them up? How do they hit their upside? How do they hit their downside? And ta- part of Taylor's hesitation, as you brought up, the, the more pressing concern, I mean, I think it's twofold. One, you have Naheem Hines, who's going to be used a decent amount. That's, He's going to be used in the right. passing game. And I think that Philip Rivers not being there, just blood dumping down to running backs the entire time, is also going to be a bit of a downtick for Jonathan Taylor and Hines in the passing game. But just with the way that I've seen Frank Reich do everything as it pertains to running back, even when he was the OC in Philadelphia, like he likes to divvy this up, that you start giving Mac five or six or seven carries a game just to keep people fresh. It just really hurts the ceiling of Taylor to get there for you. That is my hesitation about having Marlon Mack come back because I, I still think that all three of them are going to be used. I think that's what Frank Reich wants to do in this backfield. Yeah, but all these coaches want to do something until it forces you a different way. You know, for the longest time, Andy Reid was somebody who loves to use mostly one running back 60% of the time. And then last year forced them in another direction. They, you know, Clyde edwards helaire off the slow start, especially near the goal line. They bring in Le'Veon Bell and ends up being this cluster. Uh, you talk about, right, you talk about Doug Peterson had that uh, misnomer for him for the longest time. And then Miles Sanders changed it the one year because Miles Sanders was that damn good. Obviously, it involved an injury too. But some of these things, situations change. Like, we talk about we're going to get to the Patriots. I think that situation is changing where coaches sometimes adapt to who they have on the team and things change with the offense. Now, where we disagree is the Marlon Mack factor, where we don't disagree, and I have said this the entire time, so we're on the same page this one. I think Naeem Hines is the factor here. That's why Jonathan Taylor, for me, as amazing as I think he is, and the fact that I think he can be used in the passing game, is Nick Chubb. He's their Nick Chubb. He's that good. But they're just not going to use him that much in the passing game because they have Naeem Hines, who is a really good pass game player. Not that Taylor's not going to be involved some, but it's a Nick Chubb situation where it might be 20 receptions, 25 receptions, because you also factor in what you said. Carson Wentz versus Phillip Rivers, so the volume is going to come down too. So I'm with you. Jonathan Taylor should be here. Jonathan Taylor would not be going that high in my drafts. Well, for if I'm just drafting the first round, we've already discussed our tier so far. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of happy as much as I love Jonathan Taylor, the player, I'm kind of happy to see him go there because I know I'm getting a better value. If I'm drafting the back half of the first round, like I did last night in the pros versus Joe's and I got Barkley at the one eleven. Oh, really? One eleven? Yeah. Yeah. Chubb, Taylor, Eckler, uh, all the, the big five running backs in front of him. And then who else? I think there was one other running back. And then of course, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. So, yeah, I got him at 111. And, you know, but the thing was, is Jonathan Taylor already went like fifth or sixth, where I would still take Eckler before him, let alone after him at the discount. And others, I forget if Taylor might even have gone in front of Ezekiel Elliott in that one. So, again, 
that's that's I say that to say be happy that Taylor is getting all this helium because then you can get the better value. So I have made my own set of projections on Run the Sims. I, I adjusted the baseline. I adjusted it up for Jonathan Taylor just to see what that would give me. So I put him in at a sixty percent rushing share of this team. That includes quarterbacks. That includes injuries factored in and everything like that. So sixty percent. That means he's going to be playing around seventy five percent of the snaps. I have him as an eight percent. Market share of the targets. Does that sound fair? Does that sound too high, too low to you? Uh, I'm looking right now to see what I have him. So <laughs> I have him at 7.8. So there okay. you go. So eight. I, I try to make it round numbers because I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. So 60%. Well, your, your rushing number is actually above mine, just so you know. I, so, have, I have him at 56%. Okay. So 60%, five yards per carry, uh, and a market share of 60% of the rushing touchdowns. That's what I have it factored out to. Uh, and this is with the assuming that the Colts run the ball 41% of the time. Now, that number might be off. You can adjust it. That's the glorious part of run the Sims. You don't agree with that? Just change the number, and it will change the projection for you very easily, as long as you click save. Don't forget to do that. <laughs> uh, so 8% uh, on 8.3 yards per catch. Uh, and a market share of around 8% of the receiving touchdowns of this team. That only puts them at running back 11 in half-point PPR. Mm, yeah, mine are a little bit similar. It's funny as I had the rushing a little bit lower in mine uh, when I sort them out. I get them at RB9. So now, mind you, that's only three points in front of Mixon at 10 for the full season. So that's, you know, very slim margin there. But yeah, I, have, I check them in at nine with a little bit different numbers than you do. This summer, Bespoke Post is here to take your adventures to the next level with a new line of must-have box of awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every month. I got the Weekender in the mail because I just loved how good the bag was. I looked at the bag. I was like, I think I need to have this bag. And it was just full of stuff. You got a shirt in there. You got a water bottle in there. I quite liked it. But there are other ones that you can get along the line, too, because no matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered. From travel and outdoor gear to breezy summer styles and grooming goods, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. Like I said, I got the Weekender, but you can get the Dram, which is a whiskey one. Uh, it has awesome glasses, uh, like awesome whiskey glasses that come along with it. You get Secured, you get to the Recover, which is the topical CBD one. So you can just go to BespokePost.com and check out whatever Box of Awesome that you would want. So to get started, take the quiz at Box of awesome.com your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you they release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime each box costs only 45 bucks but has over 70 dollars worth of gear inside and get 20 percent off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code pme at checkout that's boxofawesome.com, code PME, for 20% off your first box. So tier four, I've adjusted these a little bit since the last time we spoke, because I'm starting to get spooked on one player in particular. So it's Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Daryl Henderson, and Antonio Gibson. We have not spoken since the Cam Akers injury. Mm -hmm. And until they bring someone else in... Like if I'm drafting right now and you have to think to yourself, yeah, they probably are going to bring someone else in. But if they don't, I think this is the spot where you want to take him. Like I loved Cam Akers. I had him above Jonathan Taylor at running back number seven before he went down. But there's like literally no one else there at this point. And if they don't bring anyone else in, like it's going to be his shot at least. And 
I see him sort of in this like weird Austin Eckler zone in terms of touches, which means that he's probably even too low in the rankings. But I am trying to hedge against the fact that you know, maybe they find someone on the roster. Maybe they find someone else coming in who they can sign off the street. There's already been talk of, uh, now I completely forget this jabroni's name, someone from your your publication, theathletic.com, was Xavier Jones was the guy's name, uh, that they were hyping oh, up. Oh, he's already like, on there. Oh, it's a, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. The, he's the one that they're claiming is going to be the backup, and not uh, Calais and anybody else that Xavier Jones could actually be. Actually, there was a whole thing of whether or not he actually pronounces his first name X Xavier with like that. So he should have two X's in the front. You, I know you probably hate that. I know you probably hate that people call it X Xavier. Xavier. No, just it's X Xavier, which you're not supposed to because that's you're not supposed. To, it's just Xavier. But anyway, I just I, I know you hate the mispronunciation of names. It's funny because I mispronounce everyone's name, uh, but I just pronounce it the way that I think that it <laughs> Unless should. Unless they're French. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you know, if we talked about, if we were doing the wide receiver show and we were talking about Paris Campbell and when we talk about Travis Etienne here in a minute, then we're going to be okay. But I have Henderson at 49% of the rushes, 10% of the target share. I mean, he could definitely eclipse the 49% of the market share of rushes if he sticks as the running, like the main running back one. And that still puts him at running back number 15. Like, I, I think if you like Cam Akers and there's no one else there, why wouldn't you like Daryl Henderson? And I, I'm looking at the ADP right mm -hmm. now, and people are just so scared of the situation, it seems. He's being drafted at running back number 25 behind, like, Miles Gaskin and Etchan and Josh Jacobs. Like, I'd rather just roll the dice on Henderson. Maybe I can get a nice discount on him where he's going. And you can just look at ADP versus the rankings and be like, oh, I can wait around on that guy. But I do think he's someone you want to get. Yeah, I actually, I took him in both. I took him the pros versus Joes and then that Rasball one as my third running back because I'm like, well, screw it. I mean, I'm taking him here because everything you just said, I'll reference Emery Hunt, who, you know, we texting about this situation. And I said, it's funny that, you know, everybody's hesitant on Daryl Henderson while they were just a few weeks ago so excited that he's one of the best backups and one of the most overlooked backups in the NFL because he's so talented. People forget that he's talented, blah, blah, blah. And now he's thrust in the situation. All of a sudden people are like, well, I don't, I don't know. It might be Xavier Jones. It might bring somebody else in. And it's what he calls it. Smooth brain thinking. Like it's just smart dummies. Like just go with the obvious answer. He's the most talented running back. The only question with Daryl Henderson has been injuries. Now, granted that's significant. He's dealt with a lot already in the beginning of his NFL career. I reference Lauren Fournette all the time. Dealt with injuries in college the first two seasons. Injury, injury. You're injury prone until you're not. Everybody's injury prone. It's the NFL. You can get hurt at any single time. Do you really think Saquon Barkley was going to blow out his knee? Um, so it could always happen. Daryl Henderson, if healthy, 100% agree with you. The talent is a smidge below Cam Akers. So you do have him outside the top 10, but he's stepping into this role unless they add somebody. I'm 100% with you. He's a locked-in top 20 and arguably top 15 running back, especially in this offense with now Matthew Stafford. I, I don't understand the hesitation outside of, again, if you want to say injury, fine. You want to play injury scared, but there shouldn't be any other reason that you're off Daryl Henderson. Well, here's the reason I'm injury scared. I'm kind of injury scared about Antonio Gibson. I was watching uh, our guide, or at least my guy, Dr. Jesse Morris, talk about the injuries, the recovery, and what the outlook is in the Washington football team backfield. And I can just see this getting split up a ton, that he's not going to be this bell cow that everyone's penciling him in as, that the recovery might not be going as well as people think. And that's a warranted concern. Obviously, we have time uh, with a lot of these players that you know all the assumptions are week one and this you know the Saquon Barkley obviously it's better than Saquon Barkley I'm going I'm pulling up 
this team right now to see what the share was. But yeah, here's a perfect example why. Like I've always played the more hesitant game in the fact that I love Gibson, but I don't think he's a bell cow running back, even if he is 100%. I just don't think that's who he is. This is another one of the Austin Eckler, Lamar Millers, if you want to call like Go back to college days. There's a reason he wasn't used as much, which is funny, is that he came out as a major pass catcher, and then Washington flipped the script and used him barely in the passing game. And I think that's the assumption is everybody's like, well, they're going to see the opportunity here. They're going to see how good he can be in a passing game. And he's going to take all that away from what McKissick got last year. Okay. I do think the passing game is going to improve, but there's a couple factors here. Even if it does, I don't think it turns into Austin Eckler. I only have him for 52% of the rushing share. I do think they're going to want to spell him and they have a fascination with Peyton Barber. And then the biggest factor that comes in is Ryan Fitzpatrick is towards the bottom of the league of throwing two running backs. And you have Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin, so he doesn't have to check down to his running backs. And he has Logan Thomas. Um, He doesn't even throw to tight ends that much. He just loves throwing to his wide receivers. So I'm with you, even if healthy. I just, I think Antonio Gibson falls into a tier of 15 to 17 touches per game, which is the Clyde Edwards Alaires, the DeAndre Swifts, those those kind of guys of the world. And I'm with you, is that the RB1 conversation is a little over a little too much for me. Yeah, I, I kept him at the bottom of tier four only because if things do break his way and we're just wrong about the role that he plays, he could all of a sudden sure. vault up to be one of the better running backs in fantasy football. I'm of just course. a bit hesitant based on both the injury concern that I have for him in the recovery and the role that he'll specifically play in this offense. And you hit on two key names there. One was Ryan Fitzpatrick. The other one was Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel's going to have a rushing share in this offense. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, he doesn't dump the ball off. He just runs himself. <laughs> yeah, people forget that Ryan Fitzpatrick takes off his own quite a few times. But uh, I think, again, it's more just even Curtis Samuel not even running the ball. It's just Curtis Samuel in the passing game. You just go back to And this is a different quarterback, different team, uh, different situation than last year. Uh, McKissick, you know, if, like, is McKissick just going to get tossed aside? I mean, I don't think McKissick's going to see the workload he saw last year. But at the same time, he's not a slouch that you're just going to dismiss and all of a sudden he's done for. Unless maybe he hits the theoretic type wall and he's just a non-factor. And, and that's where you bring up the upside of Gibson is all of a sudden if he is catching 60 passes this year then antonio gibson yep top 10 we that's where he deserves to be but all these factors in are why you do tears and why you bank in the risk value is you don't want to i'll reference something brandon funston says on our on our podcast a lot don't buy at last year's peak price and this isn't necessarily last year's peak price for antonio gibson in fact that he already hit it but it's what he hit and the assumption of what it is and you're buying the peak price of now Antonio Gibson has to be that if you're going to treat him as a fringe first rounder. If I quizzed you on where Antonio Gibson is going recently in high stakes leagues, what running back and what pick do you think he's going at? I think he's going 202 running back 10, 11. Running back 10 is correct. Pick number 14 is the average. 202. There it is. You're on. You know this. Why have you on? You know this. You don't even need to look it up. You're good to go. And all that means is, I mean, it, 
listen, it's hard to differentiate between, like, if you're at 202 and you're at pick number 14, there is no real difference between Gibson and Clyde Edwards-Lair. It's not like, well, I'm going to wait on Clyde Edwards-Lair. You can't. It's your fucking pick. So (laughs) it's not like he's following an extra round, but there is a pretty discernible difference. No, you have two tiers at least before you come back around. So I I understand what you're saying. Yeah, of course. But but I think the difference here is that Gibson is going ahead of Aaron Jones, ahead of Joe Mixon, ahead of Najee Harris, ahead of Edwards-Lair, Dobbins, and DeAndre Swift. And, well, that's not ridiculous. That's not a crazy overreaction I, I just think that's wrong i would 100 percent agree with you i would take Najee harris joe mixon uh i could see taking him over dobbins and i'm one of the biggest dobbins supporters out there i would definitely i put it this way i definitely take him over deandre swift we've mentioned my hesitancies on the last show about deandre swift um but yeah there's there's no way there's no way i'm taking him over mixon and harris So check out the Top 150 show for Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift, and J.K. Dobbins' arguments back and forth, but I've settled on them there. So that Tier 4 is Mixon, C-E-H, Swift, Dobbins, Henderson, and Antonio Gibson. Tier number 5 is going to be Mike Davis, Chris Carson, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, and Javante Williams. And I'll let you know the two guys that I'm ending up with from this tier are Davis and Javante Williams. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I've had a ton of Davis so far myself. Another volume, volume, volume. Am I really going to turn to Kadri Olsen that much? Or uh, We mentioned on the other show, too, is that Javian Hawkins, as much as I'm a fan of Hawkins and his talent and his passing game ability, the fact that he could be an NFL Tariq Cohen or Naeem Hines, he's still an undrafted free agent, still has to make the team. Uh, there's still questions out there. And even if he does make the team, how much? Because Mike Davis has proven to be a quality pass catcher and a pretty good pass blocker. So I'm not, that's what the only one I differ on is I actually have Mike Davis up in the tier ahead of this. Um, I have Mike Davis up by DeAndre Swift and behind Daryl Henderson. So he's up there in my top 20. Uh, I've been ending up, like I said, a lot of Mike Davis. The rest, I pretty much agree with you. Uh, I think that very similar tier in this group because now you're getting a lot of questions of splits, uh, involvement offenses and stuff like that so i don't have a really problem with the rest of them but that's the one where i differ on i I would put mike davis on the tier above this i think i'm comfortable with him here just especially versus his adp because he's not being drafted highly at all he's being drafted at running back number 26 he's being drafted to pick number 60 so that's how i end but now it's weird because him and daryl henderson are going back to back and i would rather have i'd rather gamble on the upside of henderson that maybe that there is an unknown in this offense that if he is the running back one maybe he could be a top five guy or something like that something crazy with sean McVay and matthew stafford if everything breaks right if everything breaks right for mike davis with all of his volume he's still probably like at best running back 10 <laughs> uh, yeah but running back 10 is pretty damn good uh, i agree i, I, I haven't i haven't met running back number let's see 5 11 18 i think it's a decent hand. okay so uh, yeah I'm, I'm 16 so just barely in front of you but the good news is as you said daryl henderson and mike davis well if you're <laughs> drafting where they're going on usually at least what i've seen recently is you don't have to make the decision because it's towards the fourth fifth turn and you can get both of them so what I, I talk about the pros versus Joe's draft, you take a running back, 111, Saquon Barkley, and maybe you don't like that risk with those other two, but then hammer wide receiver, wide receiver, and then you come back and as your second and third running back, you get Henderson and Mike Davis, and it's all sunshine and roses. There we are. So I don't know what to do with David Montgomery because either he's in a supreme value <laughs> or he is like wildly overvalued. And I kind of have him in between right now. It comes down to Tariq Cohen. Hey, this the news is that he's on pup and you know he's coming back slowly from his injury. 
Obviously, there's still plenty of time. But the biggest thing is if Tariq Cohen's out there, he's going to be a passing game option. David Montgomery, volume, said it earlier in the show, volume is king. And he got all the volume. And I don't even talk, forget the schedule, which everybody knows at the end of the year was the cakewalk of cakewalks. But the volume was already there. If Tariq Cohen's back, then yes, he's wildly overvalued. If Tariq Cohen doesn't and he can't play at all, there's not a whole lot in the passing game in those running backs where you're that. Like maybe Damian Williams, you know, people kind of forgot that he came over from the Chiefs. Maybe he steps in and is more of a factor than we think. And then he's David Montgomery's still overvalued. But I think that there's no Tariq Cohen. That's the best case scenario for David Montgomery. So tier six of running back starts off with Josh Jacobs, who I don't even feel like ranking, to tell you the truth, because I don't want him. But at some point, he becomes a good pick when no one wants him. I'm just, where have you been seeing him fall? Because right now, he's still going at pick, like, as high as 32 in some spots. That seems outrageous. Uh, And as low as 61. Average pick, number 42. Running back, number 20. So, So I go Jacobs, Hunt, Mostert, Travis Etienne, Miles Gaskin. Damian Harris, Chase Edmonds, Ronald Jones, Michael Carter, Latavius Murray. That is my next tier, tier six of running. That's a big tier, but it's a bunch of guys that I don't love, but wouldn't hate taking the very, the guys who go the latest in this tier kind of thing. Yeah. The article that I just put out today was the top 10 most overvalued players in drafts right now. And Jacobs right now is RB 16, 28th overall in ADP. That's consensus ADP. That's just absurd to me. Uh, you can't ignore Kenyon Drake coming in. And what I said in this article was, if it was the Nick Chubb efficiency and on a per-game basis, I'd be okay with that. Problem is, even last year with no Kenyon Drake, he was still 2.2 points per game behind. 2.2 per game behind Nick Chubb. And now you bring in Kenyon Drake and know that Josh Jacobs is not a factor. I threw out this stat on Twitter yesterday. yesterday. He was out of 650 snaps the past two seasons, 28 running backs qualified. So of those, he was 19th in passing play target percentage at 14.3. And just being involved in third down passing plays, 5.5%, the only running back lower than him, Derrick Henry at 4.5. So he's just not used in the passing game. And now you have Kenyon Drake. You mentioned a lot of names. I'd just rather wait. Mike Davis, Javante Williams, Damian Harris, Michael Carter, all in the Rarby 25 to 23 or 35 range, not saying they're on Josh Jacobs level, but it was what your second point was, which was a hundred percent agree with. I'd rather just wait on that discount with those guys than to take Jacobs where you have to take Jacobs in the third round. Damian Harris has started to become more and more interesting to me as the season goes along. However, I, I can't figure out if he's better off with Cam or Mac Jones, at quarterback, because I feel like his touchdown ceiling is far dropped. If Cam is the quarterback, but his rushing yards will go way up. If Cam is the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all set. And I think you just put out why is yes, you're going to have one go up while the other goes down. This was the one I was alluding to before where coaches change. We've known about Bill Jack for the longest time. He's annoying as hell. Bill Belichick has a cluster of a backfield where you mentioned it for the longest time is all you do is just draft James White because that's you don't why worry about the other guys. Then you have your infrequent seasons where it's okay. You got LeGarrette Blunt for dirt cheap, nothing. And all of a sudden he runs for 18 touchdowns, but nobody was planning on that. And that was kind of flukish in its own right, because the rushing, it was an absurd rushing efficiency. The rushing yards don't even offset what those rushing touchdowns were. So I say all that to say Damian Harris is something he hasn't had in a while. You have to go back to, uh, I was trying to remember another show yesterday and somebody finally found the name while we were searching. There's Robert Edwards. I said the guy who blew out his knee on the sand. Robert Edwards, Lawrence Baroni, those were the days where Corey Dillon, where you actually had somebody in the Damian Harris where 
he doesn't telegraph what you're planning. They don't always pass when James White's on the field, but it's the majority of the time. They don't always run when Sony Michelle is on the field, but they do the majority of the time. If you can just disguise the defense and the defense just doesn't have to limit their play opportunities of what they're going to put out to stop just a little bit, it's advantage offense. It's advantage Damian Harris and what he can bring to this offense. So I agree with you up, down offsets, but I have Damian Harris higher than RB 33. I can tell you that much. Damian Harris is RB 27 for me. I would take him around Etchian and Javante Williams and Michael Carter. I think that's the range of those similar type of running back upsides I see. Ah, I have him at running back number 28. The one issue with him, and maybe if he sees the field more, then this will become more of a factor, and this is where Mac Jones could actually help him, is... I don't think that when you don't have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, Cam's not really the check down king thrown to running backs. <laughs> he does throw more than people realize, but yes, it's not, it's nowhere near if it's not Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. So I, I'd really like, I have him as an 8% target share out of the backfield. Like if he could just be better than Chubb and Josh Jacobs out of the backfield in terms of receiving like consistency week to week, you could give him like three targets a game just having those two easy catches really goes a long way to stabilizing his floor but this could be touchdown central like do you believe in any of the other new england running backs because it seems like sony michelle's treading on thin ice here with actually being on this team and then stevenson would really be the one to worry about as it pertains to damian harris like james white's james white he's just gonna do james white things that's not really similar to what harris does or what stevenson does at least in my mind no, Stevenson is a lot likely Garrett Blunt, but he got put on the pup, which actually makes Sonny Michelle more likely to make this team. And I actually thought Sonny Michelle was a potential cut casualty. So, uh, you know, whether or not Michelle still makes the team, you know, maybe Stevenson helps and Stevenson's just not even ready for this year. And if all teams, or you talk about any of them, that you miss a lot of the preseason and then you don't even get an opportunity because of it. Uh, okay, Damian Harris. Oh, well, that happened to him with, with Bill Belichick. So I say that to say, Sonny Michelle might have a way to still stay on this team, but I wouldn't be concerned about him at this point. Sonny Michelle, even coming out of college, was had some similarities to LeGarrette Blunt, just a heavy runner that you know doesn't do anything in the passing game. And actually being the heavy-legged runner is what got him these injuries and those knee problems, as Emery pointed out to me when he was being drafted. Um, so, yeah, I, I, to answer your question, I don't really have much of a concern for Sonny Michelle. I think Damon Harris has the most clear upside. And people all just so quickly love to forget things they were saying about players. When Damon Harris came out of college, it was, oh, my God, could he have just landed in a better spot? Because look at how talented he is. And then he gets stuck, you know, injuries off to a slow start, and people just want to throw him away. Last tier that we're going to cover today, and we'll go more on this on the Fantasy Football Picks and Bet Show up on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe now for more chats between Jake and I. And really, this is a handcuff range, a backup range, but it just goes Gus Edwards, Trey Sermon, Kenyon Drake, A.J. Dillon, James Robinson, Melvin Gordon, Tony Pollard, James Conner, Zach Moss, Alexander Madison, Jamal Williams, and Leonard Fournette. That's sort of the next little tier, maybe even too high for Fournette because I've kind of staked into, not that I want Ronald Jones, I just think that Ronald Jones is going to be better than Leonard Fournette. The one name I want to break down here before we get out, though, is Trey Sermon because everyone's just like, Hmm. I think they're enamored with him being a rookie, the potential of San Francisco running the ball so much, the easy schedule at the beginning of the season, and they really haven't done gone back and done a deep dive to see how Kyle Shanahan has treated rookie running backs over the course of his career. Like, I think you'd be crazy to draft Sermon over Mostert right now, and that's how people are drafting. Yeah, so there's a couple things that come into play here. Um, 
I had since the draft, you know, this been one of the biggest trade sermon supporters. And then like, if you look at this backfield, he is the most talented running back in my opinion, just top to bottom. I a hundred percent also agree with you is that even though he is the most talented, even though I think he could push for the lead and I'm not even getting to Shanahan yet, which I agree with, by the way, is if he pushes for the lead, it's still the San Francisco backfield where now, yes, this is like the Patriots situation. And it's not a different situation because they still have Mostert. They still brought in Wayne Gallman, even if he gets cut. They still use Yushchik at touch. This is an offense that really isn't going to change because it's not like a Damian Harris versus a lot of injuries and a lot of one-dimensional players. This is a lot of multi-dimensional running backs and a lot of talent in this backfield where they let talent go just to clear things up. Um, I think that I'm with you in the fact that Trey Sermon has a lot of upside or just with people in general. I love Trey Sermon and this opportunity, but I still have Mostert eight spots in front of him because if Mostert is healthy, he is the guy from day one. And that's the Shanahan factor of you need to prove yourself. And if you're even on the same playing field as the guy, as the incumbent, I'm going the incumbent until you prove you're significantly better than the incumbent. And then to go back to my first point, even if he is, Mostert's not going to die and go away. Wayne Gallman's not going to be never involved. Like there's still at best case scenario. Let's say Sermon had the job. It's probably still 50% with their other four options splitting up the other 50% that, themselves. That, I think that is the key point to him being overdrafted right now. Because even if Mostert goes down before the season with a season-ending injury, it's not like, oh, you know, 90% of the touches go to Trey Sermon. That's not just <laughs> right. not going to happen. So unlike guys like Latavius Murray or Tony Pollard or A.J. Dillon, even for that matter, that where if the starter gets hurt ahead of them, you pencil them in for, oh, my God, now they're going up to you know playing 75% of the snaps, 80% of the snaps. They're just always on the field. They're going to monopolize the goal line. That's just not going to happen. No, and I, hell, I didn't even bring up Elijah Mitchell, who, if on the team, is arguably the best pass catcher of all of them. So, you know, again, it's just, this is Kyle Shanahan. It's good and bad. Kyle Shanahan turns every running back he touches into gold. That's the only, that's the only reason we even know who the hell Jeff Wilson is. Jeff Wilson wouldn't be a factor on 29 other teams, but Kyle Shanahan is that good at turning running backs good. Uh, but, you know, it's just too many options that he likes to use, and he makes them all good. So it's a good and a bad thing at the same time. Is you know you're going to get the best out of any running back that he uses, but at the same time, he's just not going to lean on somebody. Hell, you you, you threw out the numbers, kind of a joke. He's just he's not even going to go to somebody seventy percent of the time unless he was finally down to two options and use check. Like if it was down to Trey Sermon, Elijah Mitchell, and use check, and everybody else was hurt or off the team, okay. Now, now we're talking about top 15 running back, clearly, potentially even top 10 running back. But I just, we, we rarely ever get to that. And even when we have, it's been only about a week or two until he found somebody else. And the biggest X factor with all of this, that if Trey Lance ends up starting at quarterback at some point, he's going to not necessarily monopolize a lot of that rushing share, but he's definitely going to eat into an already thin market share of these running backs anyway. <laughs> oh, you mean the next Josh Allen? Yeah, yeah, of course. He's yeah. Gonna, I mean, at least that's the one thing we can definitely count. He's going to be like Josh Allen when he starts. So the, the passing is a big question mark, but he'll be in that facet. He will be. Yeah, I actually put in just to kind of fuck around with the projections a little bit. I put him in as if he was the starter from day one and how that would affect everything. And I gave him an mm-hmm. 18% market share. Um, and he would end up as quarterback 12. I think that's pretty conservative based on some of like the other numbers that I have in terms of like average depth of target and how many yards per carry he's actually going to rush for and how many touchdowns he throws. So I, 
it's, it's if Trey Lance hurts from day one, I think you want to have him on your fantasy team. Mm, I, I still don't know that. Uh, I don't say we want him. I think that's still even a little high just because if he is, let's say he is the next Josh Allen. Let's remember how bad Josh Allen was throwing the ball. Sure. But Josh Allen, I, I still think in his rookie year was like quarterback We're, 10. I don't think he was that high. I think I he was. Let, let me pull it up. Because he did he start right away? Up, this is... Did Josh Allen start right away? I don't think he started the full season. So if we look I'm at him check. on a per game, find... I feel like he was That's what I was gonna say. Just points the, per game. Just the rushing was so good. Like I, no, I would, he I'll... was Q, QB eighteen on points per game with Phillip Rivers at seventeen point two. Seventeen point two. I'd be curious to see if there was a split between his like first set of games and then second set of games that year. Well, his third game, he had 27.7 points. Oh, that was, the, went, was that the Minnesota game? Yeah, that was a good memory. And then he went 1.9, 9.2, 5.4. If you want to take week 12 through the end of the season, 26, 26, 18, 20, 12, finishing at New England. Uh, if you include week 17, he put up 40 on Miami in the week 17 game. <laughs> so he got better as the season went along fantasy-wise as a rookie. Sure. But again, even so, like even that second half, okay, now you get, now you probably, to your point, get him about QB 10 or 12, somewhere around there. I wouldn't say you wanted him there for the entire season. No, I think if you draft Trey Lance and you know he's the day one starter, that news comes out. I don't think you want to be like, oh, this is the one quarterback that I'm rolling with, but he's still going late enough that I think he would be a valuable piece to see kind of how he matures, understands the system and what he starts doing fantasy wise. Because if he's running like 15 times a game, you're going to want him. Well, here's the question I have for you. Like, and we're talking running backs today, but just you threw out the question kind of in my mind, I should say. You planted the question in my mind. If you're drafting today, do you even take Lance as your last pick to stash him? Because you know he's essentially a multi-week stash because even if he's the week one starter, you're not going to be able to use him until he gets rolling at best case scenario, what, week four, five, six, somewhere around there? I, I think it depends on your league, to tell you the truth. How many bench spots, how much of a premium is placed on quarterbacks? Because in a one-quarterback league, he's someone that I would want to eventually scoop up uh, if I knew that he was becoming the starter. But yeah, day one, I think he'd be worth a bench stash rather than, I know you can make the argument of how you want to construct your team, but if I had, let's say, Jalen Hurts or something like that, uh, maybe I would put him on the back end of my bench. Or if I had someone like Matt Ryan, I was like, well, Trey Lance probably has more upside than someone like Matt Ryan, but Matt Ryan's someone I know that I can play every week. Matt Stafford, well, Tom Brady, that kind of guy. But if I'm just shooting for the course. moon when it comes to like my quarterback position, someone like Trey Lance, someone like Justin Fields, like those guys would be the ones that I'd go out and target. And I completely agree for you that roster construction. The reason I asked the question is because this quarterback didn't go and I would take him every single time versus stashing Trey Lance because he could be not only the week one starter, but the starter for the entire year. And also, oh, wait, he finished as a top five quarterback with 30 interceptions, if you know where I'm going. I'd take Jameis Winston before I thought about Trey Lance, and yet I would say eight out of the ten drafts I've been in, Trey Lance goes before Jameis Winston. I think I would take Trey Lance over Jameis, and the reason being yeah, is that I think that. that Taysom Hill is going to play enough of a factor that in I, I just don't want – Taysom Hill coming in near the goal line and stealing touchdowns away from Jameis. I just don't want to see it happen. That would just fucking kill me. <laughs> I think that would also kill the Saints. I, 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 ho- I, hope, I hope I'm right. Hey, they, they took the ball out of Drew wrong. Brees' hands. You don't think they're going well, no. to hesitate? Drew Brees it? took the ball out of Drew Brees' hands. Drew, Drew Brees' arm wasn't, didn't deserve to have the ball in his hands at that point. Drew Brees was living off being Drew Brees at that point. 
But they've been they the Saints did it the last two seasons. Like I just think that they are so and his, his arm has been toast. <laughs> sure, but Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. He's going to find a way to work him into something. And if it is goal line <laughs> like and not I would say every goal line snap's going to Taysom Hill, but if we run three plays from the four yard line and then on third down, if it's not a touchdown, Taysom Hill's in, like that's a huge equity hit to the fantasy points of Jameis Winston. Sure. I, I like what I said. I just I'm I'm hoping that like things aren't that. What are we gonna do? The Steve Spurrier offense? We're gonna rotate quarterbacks in the NFL? Just it just seems it's so nonsensical. But I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a zero possibility. All right, Jake Seeley, follow him at at all in kid on Twitter. Check him out at theathletic.com and on fantasy football picks and bets on Mayo Media Network. You should tell people that you have a new show coming out. Yes, starting to well. I was going to say tomorrow, but it depends on when you watch this. So what is tomorrow's date? Uh, July 28th is the launch edition with your good friend and mine, Chris Meany. I'm having Chris Meany on, Stephanie Smalls, and Jeff Ratcliffe because they're going to be on three shows, one each day. Meany's on Mondays, Stephanie's Tuesdays, and Ratcliffe Wednesdays starting next week. But the launch show with all three of them together is tomorrow on Bets TV. It is the all-in football show. Yeah, Bet, Bets TV on YouTube if you want to check out Jake's brand new show. I'm very happy for you. I'm excited for this. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate the conversations we had on the side about these things. Yeah, of course. And it doesn't mean that Jake is not going to appear on the Pat Mayo Experience every week, breaking down my rankings. Oh, but, but now I know you couldn't get out of that one. But now you have a <laughs> full spot for him to unleash everything video-wise that you can see. So go over to Bets.TV or Bets TV on YouTube and check that out. Also, join RunTheSims.com. Jake, what, what, what would you prefer they put in, Code Mayo or Code what? code oh for, yeah, i would say put in code ranks code ranks we always talk yes so uh, run the sims.com slash ranks or code ranks will get you a discount and if you sign up before august 1st on all the stats all the tools no one's giving you advice on the site there are customizable tools and projections that you control the inputs to if you want to to make life easier on yourself if you're someone who values research and doing your own research then runthesims.com is where you want to be. Get on that founder's rate before August 1st when the prices go up. Lock in that rate for life. I can testify. You can test. Oh, you testify, right? Testify. So you've been enjoying it? I just raised the roof. Yeah, I have been. It's fun to play with. And yeah, like I've played with yours versus playing with mine and kind of going back and forth between the two. But just enjoy. I'm a, I, I'll tell you 100%, I'm going to be using it for DFS this year. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that optimizer, it comes preloaded, then you can tweak it around. The big thing that's not released yet is the game simulations. That's going to be so huge, especially like even for season-long fantasy. Like, oh, do I want to start this guy or this guy? Well, let me run each of these games a 10,000 times and see what the median outcome is. Or maybe I'm down by 20 points, and I need to see who has the most upside. How often do they get to their ceiling? Oh, it's 8% of the time for this guy versus 2% for this guy? Well, I mean, that's four times as often that they get to 23 fantasy points or something. Like, just having that empirical data and running simulations that you get to program about how you think this game is going to go I just think that stuff is super valuable for one thing and making good decisions, but it also puts the onus on you that like, hey, I'm not just subscribing <laughs> to Pat's site and Pat's telling me what to do. No one would fucking want that. But the fact that you can control everything and just kind of guide the system to how you think the game is going to go, A, I think that's fun for one thing, and it's the only place that really gives you control over those things. 
Well, that's why I laughed is because, well, now who they have to blame if they can't blame you and me. you got to blame yourself. That's going to be tough because we've provided the tools to make allow you to make the best decisions for yourself. And frankly, after doing this for over a decade now, that's really all people want. And that's really what it is. Yeah, they want to play with them. Like I said, I, you know, I did the customizable cheat sheet for the athletic, and that's the biggest thing is they just want to be like, yeah, you're dumb. This is what I'm putting in. Ha ha. Yeah. That's, that's what they want. But that's, that. you know, everybody's super knowledgeable these days because there's just a wealth of information out there. So if you think you have an edge that you don't want to tell anybody else, put it in. All right. At Owen Kid at the PME for me. You can check out the top 150 list and show in the description. You can find the running back rankings up on dkplaybook.com. And check out Fantasy Football Picks and Bets with Jake and myself going over the handcuff rankings. Some of our favorite season-long yardage props over there as well. Thank you all for watching. Smash the like on the way out. And I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!